really cool conversation. And if you're one of those people who checked it out, thank you. Thanks for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. There's actually a beer on the table. I'm going to take a sip real quick. Hold on. All right. Now, today, my friend William James is on the show. And for those of you who don't already know William James, he is a poet, a punk rock poet or a spoken word performer. It's kind of a blend of different things that uh, all meld together to make one really awesome creative individual who I've always had a blast talking to and it was an honor to be able to get him on the show. We actually did this conversation over the phone because he lives in New Hampshire now. He is no longer a Pennsylvanian. Pennsylvanian? Whatever. Uh, Anyways, so yeah, this full hour-long episode is all done over the phone and for the most part, it turned out pretty good. There's a couple little things and words that might drop in and out, but I think if you have any sort of common sense and ability to pay attention, you should be able to pick up on what's going on and not have too much trouble following the talk. Like I said, it was awesome getting to talk to him, and we're going to just get into, you know, the my usual thing. What inspires us, you know, how we got started doing the things that we do, why we're still doing them, uh, the positives, the negatives, and all that stuff. You know how it is talking to these fucking punk rock people, especially the older ones. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's, it's a really good conversation, so how about I just shut up now and let's get on with it. Sit back, relax. And let's start the motherfucking beat! Oh, neither did I. (laughs) They just assumed I did. Alright, we're going. So let's get into this. Cool. Where should we start? Let's start with your beginnings. What do you think is the, uh, if you can, put one or maybe like one particular event or a thing that like maybe turned you into the person you are today? What do you think it was? I, you know, I gotta be honest, like I've never really sat down and tried to quantify like to that degree. Um, I mean, I know I have like, individual snippets of things say you know like i i heard modern life is war's album witness for the first time and was never the same again okay or i read uh the book heavy lead berg song by ryler dustin back in like 2008 and looked at that and went oh yeah i want to do this and that was kind of what kick-started me actually wanting to be a poet as opposed to just somebody who read poems sometimes okay I don't know, like this singular life event that uh, it, it, that's hard to, to pin down. Like, sure, totally. What was like your childhood like? Were you uh, into any like weird 
punk stuff or music at all or did you have like a a more normal childhood than then somewhere down the line you came across all of this stuff that just like blew your head open yeah i think probably more the second one i didn't really get into punk and and hardcore and all all of the trappings that come with that um until i was already pretty late into my teens i was a church kid mostly growing up um my dad was was a preacher uh for a little while and you know i was part of a part of a really small and really tightly knit church community that was about 70% my family. Um, so for a long period of my life, uh, right up until I was ready to leave for college, that was just the defining part of my existence was just being church kid um, and being poor and living in this tiny little piss pot town of 500 people in Western Pennsylvania. And I'm noticing, you know, like the stuff that I've been writing over the last couple of years, I've really come to realize, like, I'm just now starting to mine that and go, yeah, let me write 400 poems this year about growing up in a small town and, you know, trying to set caterpillars on fire. (laughs) Whatever weird shit that I did. Sure. So maybe it might be safe to say that the beginnings of what you became were actually like the lack of access to things that you had as a kid? That seems like a pretty a pretty sound theory. I would imagine just growing up with um little or no access of like the outside world because I mean we're pre internet kids. We didn't grow up with cell phones in our hands and shit. So if you didn't have access to that stuff, you probably didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I can still remember, you know, like being in eighth and ninth grade, like not having a computer even in our house. And I would ride my bike to the library and, you know, sign up for my 30 minutes of internet access and then try to sweet talk the librarian into pretending that I wasn't there for hours on end. So whenever you started to find out about not necessarily the punk culture, but maybe just any sort of culture outside of what you grew up with, it probably really blew your head open and I'm sure that whenever punk did come along you were like holy shit what is this I can I can't imagine it oh yeah for sure like I there's two things I can remember pretty clearly one I was with my mom at a local Christian book and gift store because I think she was getting stuff for Sunday school or you know whatever um and I was browsing through the CD racks and I see this like sampler CD um, from Tooth and Nail Records, songs from the Family Box Volume Two, and it looked really edgy. And there's like a cartoon drawing of this really mean-looking hockey goalie, like with missing teeth, and and I was like, "Well, I've got enough money from my allowance, I can buy this. I don't know any of the bands that are on here, but this looks neat. I'm going to listen to it." So I did, and I was allowed to own it because it came from a Christian. And I put, you know, I put this. CD sampler in knowing nothing. I'd never heard of Tooth and Nail Records, never heard of Solid State, I none of these bands. And I drop it in my CD player and I hit play. And one of the first things I hear uh, was the opening riff to uh, the song A Fall Flare Well by Zayo. And like my head exploded. That's it, dude. <laughs> like, That's the moment. Like, up to that point, I think the heaviest thing I'd ever heard music-wise was maybe the Newsboys. Sure. 
<laughs> like, you know, so that was my, like, that was Newsboys and Petra were my kind of defining uh, hallmarks of like what rock music was. Okay. Uh, and then I listened to fucking Zayo. Yep. And my head just blew up. All right, so that's it. We figured it out, Zayo. We found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was, you know, like, Zayo, and then I listened to, you know, uh, Training for Utopia and Living Sacrifice, and I didn't even know that you could get full albums by these bands at the time. I was like, oh, my God, I just, I listened to, I must have listened to songs from the penalty box a yeah. thousand times. <laughs> uh, and like you said, we're pre-internet kids, right? So, like, there wasn't, you know, Napster wasn't even a thing until I was in college, which shows you how fucking old I am. You know, I had no idea, like, that there was this entire world, even just staying within, like, the Christian music scene. I didn't even know that existed, let alone, uh, you know, everything outside of the evangelical bubble. So, like, it became a regular thing. I would go to the, I would go to that same Christian book and gift store. I would save up my allowance money, like five dollars every couple of weeks, until I had enough money that I could buy a new CD. And then I would go to the bookstore and I would just like point to a band on the back of that track listing, and I would go find me whatever they have. I want it. Yep. You know, which I don't know if I, you know, if I hear of a band that I've never listened to before and I and I like it, I just hop on Bandcamp. Or whatever, you know, I just look them up. I'm like, well, this is easy and almost kind of not fun anymore. Yeah, it, it's it's really convenient, and it's great that if somebody says, hey, check out this band, you know, you have easy access to it. But I also come from, like, the time where you would come across a CD sampler, and then you would there would be that one band or two bands on there, and you're like... I need to find this band and I would go to the mall and they would have like a card for the band, but the CD would never be there. And I'd be like, God, why won't it be there? And then like one week it would be there, but you wouldn't have money. And you'd be like, ah, it was just like this, like constant struggle for this thing that whenever you finally did obtain it, it made it worth so much. Like now I feel like it's really hard to place any sort of, real emotional value on the music that you obtain digitally. You know, it's just, Absolutely. it's always there. It's like the music's good, but it's, I don't feel as obligated to like listen to the things that I obtain now and like really sit down with them. If I buy a record, that's different. But if somebody, you know, says, check out a band, I listen to their band camp, I'll listen to it maybe once. And then chances are, I'm going to forget about it. And that kind of sucks. I've been trying to force myself to go back to like those old roots and you know, CDs. I don't even, I don't even buy anymore because I got into vinyl yeah. um, a couple of years ago. And then that just ballooned out of my control. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the club. I'm sure you can relate. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, but like, so I used you know, much like you, the, like I used to get my music, whenever I could actually access it. And there was the CD sampler where you'd hear a song by a band and you'd like it. There was also, um, so you know, I'm sure you can relate to this one too. Like you'd get an album by a band and the first thing that you would do after you threw that CD in your CD player, you'd sit there and flip through the liner notes. Oh, totally. And 
you know, some days the first, you know, some days I would go straight to the lyrics and I would sit and read through every single lyric. Yeah. Like, with, you know, with the songs. Uh, and other times the first thing that I would do is I'd flip back through to the thank you page and my, my knowledge and awareness of bands for a long time came through reading a thank you section from like a CD that I was listening to and going, Oh, I've never heard of that band. Oh, I've never heard of that band. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of that band. Uh-huh. But again, because this is pre-internet, it wasn't like I could just hop on YouTube and look them up. Like I had to really do my research. Oh yeah. Um, totally. So I've been trying to kind of force myself back into that almost as an exercise in self-discipline. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm becoming a grumpy old bastard with music, uh, <laughs> to where like, it happens. I'm, and this, this makes me, this is going to sound terrible because like I'm friends with so many like younger musicians and new bands. I have days where I'm like, I don't care even a little bit about hearing anybody new. Like I would rather throw on witness for the millionth time yeah. than listen to a new band. Um, and that feels kind of shitty, but at the same time, I don't want to like, I don't want to do the cheap, like, let me just hop on the internet and look somebody up and find a Bandcamp stream or see like something that leaked onto a torrent site. Like I really want to force myself to actively engage with music again. So sure. I'm, I'm trying to go back to, you know, looking through thank yous and seeing if there's a band that I've never heard before and then going to the record store and trying to find their album or, you know, only letting myself learn about new bands through going to a show and hearing something that I've never heard before and buying a demo. Like, I don't know, man. Like looking everything up on the internet is just boring to me and seems kind of shallow. Yeah. The, um, I mean, it has its ups and downs 100%. I do agree with you. I think the best way to find out about new music personally is from seeing bands play nowadays, especially because of how, advanced technology has become like a band can record a perfect sounding album and it's all fake it's all digital and you don't even know until you go to see them and you're like oh oh that's what happened like you just put everything into your macbook and made it sound perfect in time and stuff so i it's really hard for me to even just trust the stuff that i hear online is even being genuine because anybody can do anything now it's so easy and accessible you know yeah i don't know i haven't gotten burned too many times in that way like going and seeing a band live and realizing they sound nothing like what they did on the recording um i think it might be something that exists a lot more in like the technical death metal type community yeah i think you're right um you know, I, I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna shit talk on anybody in specific, um, because that's pointless and doesn't accomplish anything. Um, but I will say, like, I definitely can think of bands that I know exist, um, who you listen to them on whatever, uh, internet media existence they have, and then you see them live, and there's a massive difference yeah. in, in quality. And I, I wonder how much of that, like you said, it's so easy to liter like literally 
take a band of four or five people, everybody kick in a couple hundred bucks and be able to afford a flawless sounding album, Mm -hmm. which wasn't the case even, you know, even six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Not at Um, all. But I also wonder how much of that is because of this whole like internet accessibility. It's way harder for like a new band, you know, like to get any attention because the signal to noise ratio is so out of whack. Like there's 400,000 new bands that started today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, you know, and I almost, I, I see this with some, I, I saw this when I was still in Pennsylvania and still kind of part of that, like Western Pennsylvania scene. Uh-huh. Um, I saw this a lot where, the it almost felt like the expectation that fans had on them, unless it was a new group started by a bunch of like seasoned vets, because you had those groups that were made up of a bunch of people who had already been in four or five other bands mm-hmm. that just came together and they were like, well, now let's play mu- let's play this style of music together with this group of people, um, and they'd already gone through all of the growing pains, um, but you know you had like. The, the handful of kids who were just like, oh, I want to play music. I know how to play drums. You know how to play guitar. Like, you can make weird cookie monster sounds with your face. Let's start a band. Um, there's almost this expectation that you have to be perfect right out of the box. Like, you've got bands spending way more time perfecting their, you know, their Facebook page. Um, I almost said MySpace, and then I remembered that that hasn't been relevant for a yeah. decade. Sure. Well, it was um, very know. relevant. I think MySpace was the thing that really started what you're talking about, like the the image yeah. of the music. And, and I don't, you know, I like punks grumble about that all the time, right? There's always some old punker pissing and moaning about how like image over music, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I don't think it's malicious. Like, I don't think these kids are starting out going like. We want to be in a band, so let's make sure that we have our haircuts right. Let's make sure that, like, our promo photograph looks hot. Like, I don't no, think no. That, that it's willful. No, I think that... Um, honestly, it even goes outside of music. I think that, like, image over everything has become something just that people have an issue people have with life in general now. Thanks to the internet, you know? Yeah. And it's like... It, the internet gave us instant access to everything we could ever want, and in a way, almost took away our permission to fail a few times, um, if that makes any sense. <laughs> you know, so like, going back to the whole bands sounding perfect on the internet and then sounding like they don't know what the hell they're doing when you see them live. Like, you're 16, 17 years old, you start a band, and there's this, I, I feel like there's almost this pressure that you have to look and and appear like you're already one of the big dogs before people will even pay attention to you. Yeah, you know, I I get what you're saying. And it I think a lot of it depends on the genre of music I think that you're trying to do. Every genre throughout, you know, the past three or four decades has always had its look, you know, like... The 50s garage teen bands had their look, or 60s, and then like 70s punk kids had their look, and disco look, and 
80s hair metal look and 90s grunge look. So there's always been different looks. And I think that if you're 15, 16, 17 years old and you're starting a new band, you know, it's obvious that you're going to be like, we need to look like this. But thanks yeah, to definitely. thanks to like the internet and the platform of MySpace, it puts so much more of an emphasis on that visual aspect of the music because it kind of like the CD demo kind of died or the tape demo was already long gone. So now your demo in a way was this MySpace profile where it's like you have to have a profile picture and all of this other shit and you could see how many friends you have and you could see how many plays your song has gotten. So now everybody has this really distorted view of like how big their band is. You know, if they only have hundred friends and their song only has 25 plays it's like oh we must suck but it's just like no you don't suck it's just you don't have exposure and then you know yeah. people started paying money to like oh now we have 10,000 myspace friends and our songs are getting 3,000 plays a day and it's totally bullshit and it's like you know you still go to see them play and there's nobody there and it really just kind of i think that's what started to fuck up everything because nobody even was able to tell who was legit who had fans and who didn't because it was all you could just throw a couple bucks at the internet and all of a sudden you had the appearance of being big shit even though you weren't well like i definitely can understand why that would start to become attractive to like that whole you know magical demographic of like young kids just starting out and um because yeah, as a as a poet and like as a performance poet, that's still something that like I have to put myself in check sometimes and be like, oh, so and so's poem has a hundred fifty thousand views on YouTube, um, and like, and there's this part of my brain that still wants to t tell me that because nothing I've ever done has gotten that many internet hits that I'm clearly inferior to whoever. Sure, um, sure. And, like, rationally, I know that's not true. Like, I know that really all you can do is try to, whether you're, uh, you know, whether you're a writer or a musician or a painter or whatever, like, all you can really do is try to continue producing good work mm -hmm. and let whatever's going to happen happen. Like, it's definitely hard to look at some... Especially when you're looking at somebody who you think is pretty well matched with you, um, whether you're talking about like somebody who has the same level of talent or somebody who started doing what you're doing at the same time, um, somebody that you would consider like absolutely within your peer group, and you see them blow up, and you see yourself continue to kind of just at a walking speed keep going through, you know, sometimes somebody will message you and be like, hey, I read that poem, or hey, I really like that song that you just posted, um, you know. And you're hearing from 5 or 10 or 15 people a month, and somebody else is hearing from hundreds of thousands of people a month. It's hard not to look at that discrepancy and think that that has some kind of quantifiable uh, statement yeah. on your worth as an artist. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, like we've both been around long enough. We, we know that's bullshit. Oh yeah, it's totally bullshit. That's like, 
um, me and Jack were talking about this on his episode, like when the Death Wish thing happened for Code Orange, and there was a lot of bands in Pittsburgh in the hardcore scene who I think were really bitter about it, and some people that, you know, I had talked to personally that were really, like, mad that they got that opportunity and their band didn't, and they felt that, like, um, either they deserved it or they felt like because Code Orange got that opportunity now that they never had it, they, they're not going to have a chance now, that, like, they lost it, they blew it, and they might as well give up, and it's just like, well, if you were doing this for any sort of a genuine reason from the beginning, then just be happy for them and then just keep doing what you're doing. There's no reason that you have to stop or feel like a failure because somebody else obtained success. They just, whether it was them working harder than you or them getting a break luckier than you got, you know, you can't really dwell on it. It's just, it's out of your hands, completely out of yeah. your control, you know? I mean, I... I think I can draw a parallel between, like, getting a record deal and, you know, for me, the equivalent, I guess, would be, you know, a a book deal or even getting individual poems published in, in, like, some kind of journal or, or magazine. Like, there's only so far that you can, there's only so much that's in your own hands. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, like I said, you try to do the best work that you can. And then you send it out there, and at a certain point, you re- like you reach a certain point where the talent level is equal, and at that point, it's entirely luck. You know, maybe I'll send out a batch of poems to the same journal as one of my friends, and they'll get picked, and I won't. It doesn't mean that they're better, and it doesn't mean that I'm worse. Like, when my shit gets published, that doesn't make me better than somebody who got rejected by the same journal. Uh, it just means that at that moment, when that particular editor was reading that particular batch of poems, one thing resonated with them and one thing didn't. I, I was friends with a bunch of bands um, that were from that same Pittsburgh scene at the exact same time. Uh, as You know, like... There were a bunch of us. We were all part of that community. Yeah. Um, and Code Orange, you know, Code Orange kids at the time, uh, they were the ones that got signed to Death Wish. Um, I think there was, I could probably rattle off five or six other bands that had started at the same time and were playing in the same field that were just as good. Sure. Um, and I don't really think that there's anything to it other than you know, code orange. I think they just put they in that. Hard. Yeah, they I think they they were a little bit better at networking and they were pushing harder and they just for whatever reason from the gate, I think they just had a really devoted fan base. That regardless of talent, some of the other bands just didn't have that fan base and they had it. Yeah, I mean like the thing is what they do isn't really my thing. Sure. Um but they do it well and I agree. You'd be a fool to try to make the case that they didn't hustle their asses off. Oh, fuck, no. Like, they worked hard. Yeah, they worked their asses off. So, it's... I don't think that they got anything that they didn't deserve, you know? I mean, I've seen them live a bunch of times, and every time I saw them live, I was just like, holy shit. I remember the first time I saw them live, I couldn't fucking believe it. It was just so... 
intense and raw and I'm sure that it's only gotten more intense and more raw. I haven't seen them in a couple of years, but you know, yeah. that's, you know, that's what you hear people talk about. Their live performance is awesome. And that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of this whole conversation was, is like, you need to see a band play live in my opinion to really, if it's a good band, if you see them play live, you're going to be like, wow, that's it. Cause studio recordings just don't mean shit to me anymore yeah it's, it's really unfortunate but it's just i want to see it live especially if it's something like code orange you know like that's just that's meant for like a room full of kids jumping on top of each other it loud as hell not you just like casually listening to it kind of like on a moderate level on your stereo and your yeah. headphones it's that's meant for like a social interaction chaotic experience that's what music like that is for in my opinion, but but yeah. this whole idea, this whole idea that success is zero sum game, mm-hmm. is just dumb to me. Like, and, and I'm guilty of having that mindset too. Like, because something good happened for somebody else. Like, there's there's this few minutes where my irrational, like, insecure artist neuroses take over, and I'm like, uh, that dude. obviously means that I'll never get anywhere. But that's so stupid. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I'm with you 100%, you know? It's like I put in... I I have no idea how much time I've put into, like, all of the different shit that I've done. And at the end of the day, I feel like I'm in a similar position as you, you know? Like, every once in a while, someone gets a hold of me, and it's like, you know, hey, like, I really like that thing you did, or, you know, this, like, really had, like, a crazy impact on me. But, you know, it's only a couple people. It's not hundreds of thousands of people but at the same time it's like fuck you know if i can make that change for even just a few people and i'm still happy with the work that i'm putting out there like what the fuck else do i want you know just tell my ego to calm down i'm not doing this to be the biggest thing in the world the only reason i do the stuff that i do is because i feel like i have to do it it's what i love doing it's my passion so you know if i can get to a point that hundreds of thousands of people know who I am and whatever, great. But I want it to be, I want to, I want to reach that point by continuing to be who I am and not like conforming myself into something for the sake of popularity. Does that make any sense? Yeah. 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 It makes a lot of sense. Like, and it's something that I had to, I just had this realization a couple of days ago. Okay. Um, like, you know, I was sitting there getting all weirded out. Like, uh, I, I was getting all bummed out because I had a poem get published in, in a journal, and it's a journal that some of my friends have also been published in. Okay. And, you know, the issue before, I saw two of my friends get their work in this journal, and it seemed like Twitter just lost its mind. Everybody was like, oh, read these poems by these two people. Like, holy shit, life-changing. Ah, and... That's true. They were great poems. Um, and then the issue of, of this magazine that I was in came out, and it felt like there was just radio silence from everybody. And I was like, David, why can't people talk about my poem on Twitter? Um, and then I had to put myself in check and be like, you know, the only thing that I really want to have happen is for people who never used to give a shit about poetry to give a shit about poetry. But the, the real thing is, like, I'm a poet because that's an art form 
that means the world to me, and it's something that I am passionate about. It's something that I want to do, just like you were saying. Um, and it's an art form that historically has been kind of ignored by most of society for a couple of centuries now, it feels like. Sure. Um, and it, it, the, the long-running joke was, you know, nobody reads books of poetry except for other poets. And it certainly has felt that way. But all of a sudden, you know, I have people who I interact with who never used to give a shit about poetry, who, you know, maybe they saw, they saw something on, like, the Button Poetry YouTube channel, uh, and it blew their mind, and now they're they're digging in and they're reading stuff, um, and like the the ego in me wants to be bummed out because I wasn't the you know I wasn't the entry drug, mm-hmm. you know I wasn't the gateway for that particular person to get, person to get enthusiastic about poetry, but I had to sit down and, and kind of remind myself like the only thing that I actually want is for people who never used to give a shit about something that means this much to me just is to start giving a shit. And it doesn't have to be me. That's the catalyst for that. Like if somebody, you know, if some, if some punk kid somewhere like picks up a book of poetry and starts reading it and I wasn't the one that introduced it to him. Yeah. Who cares? Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I agree, you know, just, People find out about different things in all sorts of different ways, especially with the overload that we have now, again, with the internet, you know? So just take what you can get, and if you can't expect everybody to know who you are because there's just a billion fucking things out there, all you can really do is just, I think it's better to just keep keep your bubble small and just try to focus more on the people you can interact with in like real life and not worry so much about what's going on on the internet and social media and stuff like that. I feel like people say it's important, but I feel like this is something that we're slowly getting brainwashed into believing because I'm noticing that like all of the best interactions and fans that I have fan being in quotes, just like people that are into what I'm doing and people that I have a following with are people that I actually know in real life. It's none of this social media bullshit. I guess for some people it works. Uh, You know, there's some like YouTube sensations that can take off thanks to the internet and things like that. But I think for like art, not, I'm not trying to take away anything that these people are doing, but I think for art that comes from like a more genuine personal and like passionate place, I think that you need to actually connect with people in real life. You cannot market real, genuine art online. It needs to be like something that's really superficial. Somebody scrolling through their Facebook can click on it, look at it, and laugh. Like something that's like catchy or something silly and dumb. Anything that's like serious, I think, cannot thrive off of that. Because people that are trying to kill time on Facebook throughout the day aren't looking for like some serious life-changing thing. They just want to kill time at work or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's really hard to market your personal feelings to people that are just looking for, like, a fart joke to laugh at. I don't know. You know, I think what happened for me was 
I had a few of those experiences where somebody told me, you know, uh, that I was the reason that they started reading Patricia Smith mm-hmm. or, you know, somebody, somebody went out and bought a book because they saw me talking about it on the internet. Um, you know, I've gotten messages like that from people in the past and I'm not going to lie. Like that feels pretty fucking cool to, to know that you were somebody's introduction to this entire world. Like, and part of it is because it means so much to me. Like it would be, it would be an equal feeling if someone out and listens to modern life is war for the first time ever, because they saw me talking about them. Like on some level, the, just knowing that I was the reason that somebody else was introduced to this thing that I care so much about. Yeah. It's a really good feeling. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are like, afraid or unwilling to acknowledge that like that feels pretty fucking cool sure because there's this belief that like you're supposed to be humble at all times and i don't think it's i don't think you're not being humble by saying and acknowledging that introducing somebody to something that you think is the shit uh feels really good Mm -hmm. Uh, the problem is that like it almost had like an addictive effect where I, I had that experience once or twice. And then some part of me thought that's just what should always be happening. <laughs> okay. And I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I, I understand. I think I've been there too. It's this kind of relates to like, I think it's just something that's screwed up in like the artist's head, especially like, I think even somebody that does a lot of stuff themselves, because, like, you know, you work primarily as a solo artist, and I do a lot of stuff as, like, a solo person as well, you know, we're just kind of in control of every aspect of what we do, so if somebody really likes something that we do, it's like we're 100% responsible for it. And then on the flip, if somebody doesn't like what we're doing or if they don't seem to be reacting the way that we might hope, we're also 100% responsible for people not liking what we do. And it's a, like a, it's a heavy weight to put on your shoulders, you know? You don't have, like, other guys in your band and things like that to be like, well, we all need to work harder together or so, or like any, it's just like, if something goes wrong, it's like, this is my fault and nobody else's. Yeah. Like I definitely don't have a base letter that I can blame everything on. Yeah. Not saying that you should blame things on other people, but I mean, I've, I've been in I've been in bands, and I, it does happen sometimes. Where it's like, well, the reason why we're not doing it is because so and so can't get his shit together, and then you know you don't feel as bad. I mean, sometimes that's true yeah. too. Sometimes you know, just working with shitty people ends up in shitty situations. But ugh. I don't know. It's just especially as a as a solo artist, it just feels like there's this constant battle of like trying to keep your own ego in check. Yeah. But at the same time, trying to still produce work that has the ability to connect with other people. Absolutely. Do you find yourself, too, battling with, like, the age thing? I feel like that's something that I'm really starting to struggle with, too, just because I feel like 
I've been doing this for so long, and, like, every once in a while you get those feelings of, like, all right, enough's enough. Like, why the fuck am I still doing this? Yeah, uh, especially um, as a poet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like every single calendar year, there's somebody who's doing the, the like, 30 writers under 30 or like 25 poets to under 25 like yeah and it's like what about me and I'm like well what the fuck like <laughs> I'm almost 33 years old and I missed out on any opportunity to be part of this cool kids list of like young people who are doing brilliant work I must be a pile of shit Yes, 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 100%. And again, it's that whole success as a zero-sum game. Like, there's that part of me that thinks that because somebody else got recognition for doing something brilliant at a relatively young age, like, part of my brain goes, well, that clearly must mean that anything that you're doing is just dumb and Uh pedestrian. Which, again, fucking stupid way to think, but my brain keeps going there. I think that, like, the thing that you need to do... Are you still, like, going out and performing and stuff? Uh, I haven't. Um, I've kind of been dormant. Uh, I did a weekend tour back in November, um, and that's, like, the last real uh, solid performance that I've done. Um, I've got a book coming out later this year, so I'm trying to save all of my chips so that I can put together a full-fledged book tour. Okay. Um, but, it, it, like, since moving to New Hampshire, uh, getting out there and playing shows all the time and being on the road, like, three weeks out of four has kind of come to a slowdown. Okay. Um, because adulthood happened or something. <laughs> sure. I guess, you know, responsibilities, uh, bills... Uh, just other social stuff. I'm sure that, you know, as passionate as we are about the things that we do, we have other interests and things that we want to do with our lives outside of creating art all the time. So I'm sure you have hobbies and things that you like to do. I don't know. Movies, maybe. Books. Coffee. Who knows? But it, it, uh, it, it, does, it does add up. And it, it, it can be really, really hard. But the thing, too, that I think makes it really hard for people like me and you. Um, it's like, cause I've also, I haven't been performing as much either. And, but it sucks because I think like the strongest thing about my art is actually the performance. I think that's when people understand it the most is when I'm in a room full of individuals and just putting it out there. Cause then people can really see like, Oh, this is what this is. But if they hear my music or say somebody just, you know, reads a poem of yours online, I feel like they're missing a lot of the context because they're not getting any of the the proper, like, visual intensity or, like, delivery of it. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know how it is for you, um, but for me, it's also the fact that performing is the part of my creative process that's actually the most fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is going to sound like, I'm going to sound like a heretic because no writer is ever supposed to admit that they hate writing. 
Sure. Which I don't really hate it, but it's the most the frustrating thing is sitting down in front of an empty piece of paper and trying to go, okay, how am, how am I going to make words happen? Um, and the most laborious and mind-numbing part is taking the first draft of the poem and going, okay, how am I going to polish this turd and make it good? <laughs> uh, but then, you know, eventually I get a piece written and I get it edited and then I get it stuck in my brain and now it's ready to, like, jump out of my throat. And the only time that, like, I really have fun with a poem is when it's finished and I get to, like, yell it in a room full of kids. Yeah, yeah, you get um, to perform it and you know it and you can play with, like, the timing and the cadence of everything and really just tell a story aside from reciting a poem. I feel like, you know, you're a really, really powerful storyteller in a way within your poetry during your performances and that was always the thing personally for me that really drew me into your work was just seeing like being able to actually stand you know five ten feet in front of you and just see that passion being blasted into my face and be like holy shit like it just that was real you know just life felt like human life in front of me and it was it's awesome and i think that it's really a shame that for anybody who um comes across your work in like a just a text format that doesn't get to experience it 100 percent. but I, that's the same thing that i would say to anybody that hears my music online you know they're just missing it because they don't get to see it yeah i mean it all comes back down to what we were talking about right at the beginning. Like the live performance is the part that you have to engage with in order to get everything out of art. Like, you know, I can listen to your, you know, I have my copy of the, the Sykes LP sitting on my shelf. <laughs> um, you know, and I can throw that on and, you know, throw that on the turntable and listen to it and be like, yeah, this is, this is dope. I really like this. It's well produced. It sounds awesome. Uh, but if I had never gotten the chance to see you at the Shadow Lounge doing that live um, and getting to experience it in that capacity, like I don't think I would have cared as much if it was just something coming out of speakers. Yeah, totally. All right, so let me see here. I kind of want to, I think we could wrap up soon. We've been going about the the length that I want to go. But um, I'm trying to think, you know, I don't know. What are you, what is there anything that you would like to talk about? Or maybe, I mean, you said you're working on a book, but I guess you're still working on that. So can't really quite plug that yet. Um, everything. Uh, well, I, the only thing I can't plug about the book yet is its release date. Um like I've been working on this manuscript for five years. Um, sent it out last year to some friends of mine in Austin, Texas, uh, who run a publishing house called Timbermouse Publishing, um, and actually got the got the like the acceptance from them on my birthday last year, mm -hmm. uh, which was kind of cool. Um, so like the book is definitely coming out, uh, it's coming out sometime this year. I just don't know when I'm in the, like those, those last few stages of putting all the tweaks and checking for all the typos and, 
uh, and I still have to write my own thank you list, which is super stressful. But uh, it's definitely coming out. Um, the book is called Rebel Hearts and Restless Ghosts. Uh, somehow the universe aligned itself in such a way that I got a chance to talk with Jeff Eaton from Modern Hunter's War cool. last summer. Uh, told him about the book. Talked to him about poetry a little bit. Uh, got a got a wild idea in my head and said, well, hey, I totally stole the title of this book from a line in one of your songs. I was wondering if you would be willing to write the foreword. Um, and he very graciously said, sure. Oh, cool. Uh, which, is, which is fucking wild for me to sit here and think, like, I'm sitting on a manuscript of poems that's going to be published in book form, and the singer from my favorite and most influential band of all time wrote a paragraph about why everyone should read it. Like, this is fucking wild. That's awesome. That's sounds like quite the stepping stone for you. And I'm stoked for it. That's awesome to hear. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the last I talked with Kevin, um, the, the publisher, it's definitely coming out this year, and I'm the first book on their release schedule. But we don't have an actual release date hammered down. So, you know, I may have to do a follow-up in some fashion on the internet with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah, let me know. Keep me posted. If you have a... I'll I'll get a hold of you prior to uh, posting this episode because it will be a few weeks from now because I'm not posting any episodes until the beginning of February. And I already have a couple lined up. So this will probably be like towards the end of February. So hopefully you have more information by then. And then maybe I can fill everybody in on, uh, on that information. But, um, outside of the poetry and the, (laughs) the self struggles of the artist and things like that, everything's going pretty well for you over in New Hampshire. Yeah, it's fucking cold, but that's to be expected <laughs> in January in New England, I guess. Um, cool. I'm just living life, you know, drinking drinking coffee, working all the time, uh, living with my girlfriend and listening to records. <laughs> Sounds like awesome. What else? What else do you really need? I'm not too sure. And not much, you know. I like this is not. This is not the life that 16-year-old wannabe punk kid Bill Jim ever expected to have. Um, But it's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, you know, I think that that's funny. Like, I found myself recently just in this past year stumbling into, like, this thought that's like, well, I'm working at a job for a company that I really like and believe in that's, like, in my field of creative things. I have an awesome girlfriend, I have a nice house, I have good friends, I'm still doing the music that I want to do, I might not be really famous or anything, but, like, fuck, like, I have so many good things in my life, why not just shut up and enjoy it, and just be happy, and wherever life takes me from here is wherever it takes me, just go with it, because everything's good right now, you know? Yeah, yeah, I I think we're on some more sure. right there. I've definitely been in way, way, way darker places in my life. So thinking about those times compared to now is just like unbelievable. 
in some aspects to think of how like emotionally stable and like functioning in the real world I am now <laughs> compared to like you know five six years ago. It's crazy, but hey, really, who really, the hell would have ever expected that to happen for us? Yeah. <laughs> But hey, you know, anything's possible if you, I don't know, believe in magic or whatever. <laughs> so, um, I wanted to ask you actually, um, if I could, if you have any audio recordings of any of your poetry that I could put on the end of this episode. I do. Um, and it's amusing because we were earlier, like hours ago, we're talking about everybody being on Bandcamp. Um, but I as well. Yeah. Okay, uh, cool. I'm going to throw one on the end of this. I don't know which one. Maybe I'll ask you on uh, after this. You can like let me know which one you want me to put up or something like that. But, oh, you already sent me a link. I see it. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I didn't the take any consideration that I was going to cause the buzzing. <laughs> uh, but there you go. <laughs> the, the, uh, the convenience of the internet compared to the, yeah. We were talking about the... Uh, all the bad things about it. But then here we go. Look. In one second, I already have access to all of these things. So, whatever. But hey. Um, I'm going to put your poem in here. After I'm done saying these following words. I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to talk. It was good to catch up. I wish we could have uh, done it in person. But hey, mate, I'm sure I'll see you in person again sometime in the in the future. I don't know when, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, I don't know when, but I'll, I'll be getting road again before too long totally and maybe if, if things go well for me i'll be hitting the road and i'll be over your way or maybe we'll just meet in the middle somewhere i don't know <laughs> we'll figure it out for sure all right well hey thanks for doing this and uh yeah take it easy man you too man later on the very best of nights there's blood it's unavoidable this room, barely large enough to be a prison cell, is packed floor to ceiling with equipment. The few ad available spare, square feet of floor space hardly adequate to even hold the band, let alone the crowd, and all that came to see them. There's a certain magic in the game of human Tetris that ensues, the way that inexplicably all the pieces manage to fit, some strange puzzle of limbs intersecting, a sibling bond created by squeals of feedback, dust, plaster kicked down from overhead tiles, sweat dripping from our faces enough to form a thick fog, oak smashing violent into grass, our lungs straining to collapse in this moment, the chorus swells and our fists begin to dance. A forest of sweating palms and bloody knuckles forms the front lines behind us. Dervishes whirl and bodies hurricane a celebration dance. The microphone becomes a cube of sugar dropped on an anthill, enveloped by voices eager for their chance to share in the sorcery of the night. On the best of nights, it's blood. Pouring out of a broken nose, spilling from a split lip, drawn from the veins not out of malice but as a matter of physics. Unlike this show, matter cannot be double booked, so when two mouths try to sing along in the same golden spot next to the singer, the skulls that carry them inevitably collide. Unstoppable force meets immovable object at center stage. There is a quick shake of hands, a moment's pause to clear the head, and the show goes on. A freight train, a desert wind, a sacrament. On the very best of nights, there's blood. On the very best of mornings, it pools beneath the surface of our skin. We wear these purple-yellow stains as Medal of Honor, as sacred vestments, as a way to say, just look what I got. A scar of proof that I belong, a bruise that claims me as family. Look what I got. 
The cold brick, the broken glass, the dirt, the spit, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, that we never be afraid to call this place home. So that was that one. Ow! You guys are awesome and I like you. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. William James is an awesome dude and I miss the guy. I miss getting to see him perform and playing shows with him because it was a pretty common thing for a little while there, but I know that he's really happy in his new home that's not so new anymore and, you know, in New Hampshire. Has a lot of stuff going for him, and I wish him nothing but the best of luck. I'm sure our paths will cross again in the future one day. Uh, Be sure to check out the links that I have in the description for uh, his band camp so you could, you know, download more of his poetry in addition to the, the one that you just heard. And he also has a physical chat book on there that you can purchase if you want to support something cool. Stop by, check it out. The link's in the description. And yeah, you know, I'll be here again next week. Same time, same place, same bullshit. I am Sykes. Start the beat. 2014. Oh, shit. I fucked it up. 2015. (laughs) Woo! Woo! Thanks for listening.